Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew chapter 20. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Someone will bring you a Bible. Matthew chapter 20. By the way, if you, uh, if you park downstairs or in 375 Longwood, we have free parking tokens in the back. Please don't forget because that parking is expensive without that free token. Matthew chapter 20. Verse 17. It says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. And then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with a baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with a baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it's for those whom, for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are, who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this powerful word, Lord God. It's everything coming from the lips of Jesus. So powerful. And yet, Lord, we want to understand it. We want to understand all of it, Lord God, every bit of it. And we, Lord, we want it to just come into the every recess of our heart, even those parts, Lord God, that we have kept from you, I pray that, Lord, by your grace, we'd open them up and allow you to clean us. Even as the psalmist says, create in us a clean heart, O Lord. Renew our right spirit within us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem. We're going chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew, and he's now within a week or two of his death. 
And on his way, it says in verse 17, he, he takes the disciples aside on the road. And, and this is the scene. Jesus surrounded by a, a tremendous multitude of people. And it's a multitude of people because they're all going to the Passover. One Roman writer at the time wrote that 2.5 million pilgrims, Jewish pilgrims, converged on Jerusalem for the Passover. And so Jesus is surrounded uh, by these people, and they're making uh, their journey to the Passover, Jesus' journey uh, with them, and uh, little did uh, the 2.5 million know that Jesus was making the journey to be the Passover lamb. He was the Passover lamb. The Bible says that he's the lamb of God, the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. So he's surrounded by this multitude and many of them have discovered who he was. They want to get a glimpse of him. They're coming in close to him, but there's something that's burning on Jesus' heart and he wants to confide in them. So as verse 17 says, he takes them aside. And what he does next reminds me a lot of what perhaps a, a terminally ill mother who has just a few days to live does with her children. Actually, no, work with a guy. Just lost his wife, six young children. A tremendous tragedy, and, 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 and these things happen. And, uh, but this reminds me that uh, of uh, a mother, a few days to live, gathering her children uh, to her side, and, and because of her love for them, preparing them for her death. And with the same kind of love, only this is a perfect love, Jesus takes his disciples aside and he says five things. He says, one, we're going to Jerusalem. Two, he says, I'm going to be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. Three, it says, they will condemn me to death. Four, it says, they'll deliver me to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, and to crucify. And fifth, he says, but on the third day, I will rise again. And you know, as I read this, and I'm going to digress for a second now. I'm sorry, it's only two minutes into the message, and I, 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 I'm digressing. I apologize. But, you know, reading this reminded me of Psalm 103, verse 2, which says, Bless the Lord and forget, forget not all his benefits. And, you know, one of the wonderful benefits I don't really like that word. I think of like health insurance or something. But one of the benefits of, of being a follower of Jesus is, is one of the wonderful things about the Lord is, is he prepares us for the difficult times in life, the, the, the distressing times uh, in life. That, uh, as, as David said when he was praying just a, a couple minutes ago, suddenly come upon us often. And... Uh, he, but God will prepare us uh, for those times, and that's what he is doing with these disciples uh, here. He's, he's preparing them f- for what would be the most distressing time of their life and, and when their Lord and Savior was taken from them. And, and the, the Lord is faithful to do that with you. And, and i, I got to tell you, I, I thank God that he does. Because, you know, I, I don't know what I would do. Some of the things that have happened uh, in my life, what would have happened if, if the Lord had not been preparing my heart? I just remember 
a time, a, a season where uh, the Lord, it was springtime, and she was being so specific with me, with that still, small voice, not an audible voice, but it could have just as well been. He was saying, you know, Steve, this summer, you're going to be really humbled in your job. And I was like, well, thanks, Lord. Anything else to tell you? Know, anything else you want to tell me? You know, uh, but, but the thing is, is he, I, I, I heard this day in and day out, and I was like, wow. And, and, and I, was, I wound up being so grateful for it because the day came. And I never would have known it by outs- outward circumstances. I was reassigned to another job with much less responsibility. And I, because the Lord had prepared my heart, I was just able to basically say, well, thank you, God. I didn't resist it. I didn't argue. I, I just moved on. And, and the Lord is uh, faithful to do that with you. And that's one of the, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not his benefits. It, it, and that's one of the things he does uh, with us. If you're following Jesus as these disciples were, if you uh, remain close to him and cling to him, and, and I'm not talking about perfection. We'll see in a few minutes. These uh, disciples were far from perfect. But if you remain close to him, uh, he will prepare you for that difficult uh, season uh, of your life. So here in Matthew 20, uh, verses 17 through 19, he's preparing them, them for what would be the most distressing time uh, in their lives. First, he tells them uh, he would be betrayed to the chief priests and scribes. Now, one would think, or, or hope at least, that being turned over to a senior pastor or a chief priest or a scribe, that would be a good thing. I mean, if they know, anyone knows mercy, it's supposed to be someone like that, right? Well, tragically, that was not the case. In Matthew 23, Jesus himself says of the scribes of the day, he says, Woe to you, scribes, you hypocrites, you pay a tithe of your mint and anise and cumin. In other words, you give a tenth of all you have to the, uh, to the temple. But he went on to say, but you neglect the weightier matters of justice and mercy and faith. You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgence. And so the chief priests and the scribes, the very ones that, who should have been revered warmly by the people, they were, in fact, greatly feared by the people. And by telling his disciples here, uh, he would be tur- turned over to the chief priests. That would have been a sobering, frightening thing to them. Then the next thing that Jesus does in, in verse 18 and 19, he says he will be delivered, uh, he will be condemned to death and delivered to the Gentiles, it says. Now the phrase delivered to the Gentiles, that may not seem like much to us here in the year 2006. However, this was just about the worst thing that could happen to a Jew in A.D. 33. A Gentile was a a non-Jew. Anyone, 99% of the world at that time, anyone who was not a Jew was a Gentile. And the Jews despised them. They called them dogs. Now that may seem like a a horrible uh, thing, and, and actually it is. However, in fairness to the Jews, Gentiles were called dogs because they lived like dogs. The Gentile world at this time, they had not been molded by the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law, which really most of the world has been uh, today in, in many senses. And so at the time, your average Gentile simply, they had no inhibitions. 
in the area of sexual immorality, I mean, you had sex whenever you wanted, with whomever you wanted, and actually that happened supremely in their houses of worship of all places. Their feasts were horrifying to the average Jew. There was just such excess there in every way. The Gentiles had very little regard for life. A Gentile could kill their slave for whatever reason. About 90% of the Roman pop- of the population in the Roman world at that time were slaves. So it, it, life was not sacred. The Roman writer Tacitus uh, writes about uh, the Jews and how odd it was that the Jew considered a grave sin to, ki- to kill an unborn child. And the Gentiles, they invented the most gruesome means of execution, uh, including crucifixion, which was regarded with absolute horror among the Jews. Uh, Today, if someone is executed, the most extreme measures are taken to make sure that they die with dignity. Well, to the Romans, Gentiles, execution was like a sadistic game to them. And and just as Jesus uh, says right there in in verse 19... it was the, the, the thing that happened at the time with executions was the, the person executed would be mocked, they would be scourged, and they would be crucified, which meant going on a cross with not a stitch of clothing. They only started throwing a loincloth on Jesus, by the way, in paintings like in the Middle Ages. Uh, they, they, that's not what happened. They wanted to shame the person. Uh, who was executed. And so, you know, add all of that to the fact that Jews at this time were not allowed to mingle with Gentiles. It was their interpretation of the law. They weren't allowed to uh, eat with them, to go inside their house. Remember, I think in Acts 10, where the Apostle Peter, the, the Lord tells him to go to the house of the Gentiles. He says, no, Lord, I, I would never do that. Can you imagine telling that to God? You know, hey, go over there. No, I can't do that, God. I mean, it's like, Forget for a second that he's God. But uh, uh, anyway, th- that, that was the sort of the mentality of the time. So when Jesus tells his disciples in verse 19 that he would be delivered to the Gentiles, that would have been a terrifying thought to them. He's preparing them for a season of exceedingly great tribulation in their life. And then he goes on in verse 20. He says, Then the mother of Zebedee's son uh, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left, in your kingdom. So I tell you, you know, you read this, and I, you know, the woman, who, this woman, by the way, her name was Salome. She's the mother of James and John. I, I, I don't know what her na- maiden name was. I think it may have been Hutzpah. I mean, this is the original Hutzpah, right? I mean, she's not only asking for one of her sons to be on Jesus' left. She wanted the whole thing. And also on her right, Jesus. And, 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 you know, by the way, you know, keep everyone else in the nosebleed section sort of deal. And, it, I mean, this woman had it. She had that Hutzpah. And now you may think that, Mom here was acting on her own. You know how moms are. If it was up to uh, our moms, uh, all of us would probably be elected saints and have a school or a hospital named after us, right? Uh, But that was not the case here. Uh, First of all, you certainly don't see James and John's here saying, 
Come on, Ma. What are you doing, Ma? Stop it. Are you crazy? You know, that, that's not going on, you know. Sometimes we have to do that with our moms. Actually, in the book of Mark, uh, the, with this, the parallel version, uh, James and John are chiming in. They're saying, Jesus, we want the right hand uh, in, your, in your coming kingdom. We want the left hand. Uh, could, do you think he could do that for us? Do you mind? Maybe just that teeny-weeny little thing, you know, just for all eternity. Be on your right hand and your left. So now again, this is so important that we respond, that we, that we pay close attention to how Jesus responds to what appears to be just an incredibly self-centered, outrageous, presumptuous, uh, immature request. You know, most of us grew up in this room with the idea that when we behave like this, God gives us a good swat. He puts a, sends us to the penalty box, puts a dunce hat uh, on our head. Well, that's not the heart of God towards his sheep. Look what Jesus does with James and John. He actually answers the question. How many of us here would answer this question if it was asked of us? He actually answers the question. How does he answer it? Well, that was the most outrageous question and request I've had since I created the world. You know, no, he doesn't. That's not what he uh, asks. He says, that's not what he says. He, he says in, in, in verse 22, he says, says, but Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized? with the baptism that I am baptized with. And then it says, they respond to him, and they say to him, we are. We are able. And I read that and I say, boy, I don't know what was more foolish, asking to sit on his right hand and his left or saying this, saying they could drink. Oh, yeah, sure, we can drink of the cup of your suffering. We can be baptized with the baptism of suffering that you're about to be baptized with. But, you know, thank God our God is abounding in tender mercies. He doesn't matter how deep a hole of foolishness we dig ourselves into. God will press on with his tender mercies. Jesus says in uh, uh, verse 23, he says... He, It says, so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. What he means when he says this, you indeed will be baptized with my baptism. You will indeed... uh, drink my cups, is, is that they too would undergo tremendous suffering as they carried the message of the cross to the world. In fact, it was only a number of years from this point that this James would be slain by the sword, killed by King Herod. John, would, who lived actually a long life, tradition says that he was actually at one point dipped in oil by the emperor burning, boiling oil, and then sent to live a, a solitary life in exile on the Isle of Patmos. So Jesus is telling him, yeah, yeah in, in fact, you say you're able, well, you will, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with my baptism. But you know, I don't, I don't want to leave 
this subject of Jesus' reaction to James and John's outrageous request before I make one additional point, which I think is so important. You know, Jesus doesn't rebuke them here uh, for making this request because of his heart of mercy, but I believe in this particular case there's a greater explanation of why he acts so tenderly with them. I believe that he responds to them in the way that he does, really, because James and John are excited about Jesus in his coming kingdom. What did they ask? Jesus, can we sit at your right hand and your left in your kingdom? In the book of Mark, it says, can we sit at your right hand and left hand in your glory? Listen, their request may have been outrageous, may have been immature, may have been presumptuous, but let me tell you, it always blesses the heart of God when a man or woman takes their eyes off this world and fixes them on the next. Always blesses the heart of God. Let me tell you something that w which may come as a shock to you. God's priority, His number one priority for your life, is not preparing you for a work that you're going to do in this life. It's preparing you for heaven. Preparing you for eternity with Him. Sure, God wants to do a work through you in this life, but this life is like a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. He wants to prepare you for eternity. He wants your eyes, your heart, and your mind fixed on the hope of eternity with Him. That blesses Him. Reading in my own devotion time, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, God has prepared me. He has prepared me for spending eternity with Him. And so it blesses him so much that James and John and their mother asked the most presumptuous request probably ever made to God. And, and Jesus, he, he, he doesn't deny their request. He doesn't say no. He, he seems touched by it. These guys want to be right with him there in eternity. And, and, and Jesus is saying, well, look, you know, I, I really I appreciate your guy's heart. He doesn't, he doesn't want to discourage anyone from thinking next next kingdomly, if that's a word. I'll make it up. But he says, you know, I, I appreciate your heart, but you guys really don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're requesting here. The point I want to make is this. God is always blessed when we take our eyes off this world and fix them on the next. Colossians uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 2 says, fix your heart on things above. Now, if this passage isn't proof that that's what God's heart is for you, I don't know what is. I mean, here you have uh, uh, two men and, and, their, and their mom asking the most ridiculous thing that probably ever requested of God, and, and yet Jesus doesn't discourage it. Why? Because they're hoping for his coming, his coming kingdom to be uh, with him. And in Romans 8.23, the Apostle Paul says, we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Brothers and sisters, you know what? If we're honest with ourselves, if we're really honest with ourselves, 
Every one of us must have w- admit that our eyes are glued on this life. They are glued on this side of heaven. Fixed, preoccupied, obsessed with this side of heaven. If you don't believe me, listen to your prayers. Oh Lord, what does the future hold for me? Lord, what kind of career am I going to have? Lord, what kind of family am I going to have? What kind of husband are you going to find me? What kind of wife? What kind of, uh, you know, what kind of... uh, uh, places are you going to send me? What am I going to do, see, touch, feel, embrace in this life? The number one prayer request I get and the number one request for counseling, and virtually every pastor will tell you the same thing, is, Steve, you know, I, I don't know what God wants for my life. Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to do? Who does he want me to be with? What is his will for my uh, life? This side of heaven. And let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with any of those prayers. We're actually commanded to daily seek God out in those things. Certainly, that's a most of my prayer life. God, you know, seeking Him of where He wants uh, me to be in my life. But God is always blessed. This is what I want every one of you to know this morning. Though your prayer life may sound like that, God is always blessed. He's always blessed blessed it brings a smile to his face when you and I take our eyes off this side of heaven and put it on the next side the other side of heaven our eyes fixed on him in his glory so here in Matthew 20 we learn that God is blessed when you get excited about his his coming and and we learn that he's blessed when you you know you get so excited about his coming even if you blurt out something just absurd, God, Jesus, can I sit on your lap for all eternity? He's not going to say, he's not going to say, probably won't say no. So not probably not going to say yes, but may say, well, you know, that's not really for me to decide. But, but God is pleased. He's blessed when we're excited uh, about his coming, which Jesus promised uh, that he would be coming again. And, and we should, uh, it, it, we should be waiting with exciting expectation on his coming. Anyway, let's move on. Jesus, uh, he may not have been uh, displeased with this request, but we find out in verse 24, the rest of the disciples were. What does it say? It says, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. So here they pick up where they left off at the beginning of Matthew 18. They're arguing amongst themselves. And in case you uh, were wondering uh, what you look like when you get jealous and angry because someone around you is brown-nosing your boss or your professor or your pastor or whatever, well, this is what you look like here. You know, look at James and John. Look at them, you know, brown-nosing Jesus, you know. Not too uh, spiritual-looking group of guys right here. And that's what we look like uh, uh, when we we get like that. And in Matthew 18, uh, it says when the uh, disciples were arguing amongst themselves, really what happened here in Matthew 20, they're just continuing an argument that started a long time before. We already read in Matthew 18, they're arguing the same thing. You know, who really deserves to be uh, the greatest? And, and in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus responded by taking a, a young, young child 
the Greek word we know, it's a child between two years and five years old, uh, putting him on his laps in his arm and, and, and telling him, uh, telling the disciples, you want to be great, you become like this child. And here in, in Matthew 20, he really says the same thing, uh, but in a different way. He says in verse 25, he says, but Je- it says, but Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You know, usually in the world what you see is people are driven to climb up the corporate ladder, not as much for money, but just for the power and control that comes with high position. Same thing in government. Uh, There is something intoxicating by high positions of power in in government uh, and in business. And that's why so many people have trouble stepping down Once their time is really over, they have such trouble uh, stepping down. Why is it? Why is it so intoxicating? Because the natural man, our flesh, loves to be served. Just loves to be served. Ooh. And when you reach a high position in the world, suddenly everyone's serving you. You say jump. Everyone's saying how high. Pretty soon, as Jesus says, the natural man begins to take advantage of that and they start lording it over people. Uh, In other words, we we begin to say jump when there really is no need for uh, them to jump. But we love to see them jump. So we say jump and they jump. Our flesh loves that. So that, that is what Jesus is referring in verse 25 when he says the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And, and the disciples, they're angry. They're angry with James and John. They are arguing with one another because they want to be the one in the corner office uh, when everyone is jumping and, and saying and, and asking how high every time. They want to be the one to cry jump. And, and they are the ones fleshing out here. And, and they want to be in that place where they're lording it over people. And, and, and Jesus is saying in verse 25, you know, guys, that's what the world does. That's what the world does. And he says, but it shall, but he says, it shall not be so among you. He says in verse 26, he says, but whoever desires to to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, I was praying as I was preparing this message. I was praying for just a a really good practical illustration of what Jesus is talking about. I mean, what does it look like in in real life to to become first by being a slave or or to, to become first by, by being, to become great by serving? And I really felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. He said, just keep reading, Steve. Keep reading. So let's keep reading. 
Verse 29, it says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him, and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want for me to do? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Now, what do I mean by this is a great illustration of of what just came before us? Well, you know, one of the reasons it's so difficult to maintain an, an humility, an attitude of service when God begins to raise us up in life is because when you get into positions of power and authority, the, the very people under you, they try to prevent you from being a servant. People start treating you like you're something special. People start insisting th- that you get special treatment, of putting you on a pedestal, and pretty soon what the flesh starts believing is, you know, I, I deserve this. I deserve to be on this pedestal. Now here Jesus is going to Jerusalem and two blind men are crying out for healing. And what does the multitude do? They try to stop him. They try to stop Jesus from being the man that God called him to be. And they and they it says they cry out to the uh, to the two beggars. Uh, we know that one of them, or blind men. We know that one of them was Bartimaeus. It says, "Oh, don't bother Jesus. He can't be bothered with you. He's got the whole world vying for his attention. He's got chief priests plotting against him. The Pharisees want to kill him. Uh, the uh, the the Romans don't like him. He you know he needs peace and quiet. Give it to him." So the multitude's trying to prevent Jesus from being the man of God he is, and that is exactly what will happen to you as God starts to raise you up. That the very people that you're supposed to be serving, you know, I, I'm actually a manager at work, and when I interview people and they say, what kind of manager are you? I, I, I tell them, I want to be able to serve you. <laughs> that's my hope. doesn't always work like that, but that's my hope. But But... The, the very people that Jesus came to serve, the multitude is saying, no, no, you're not supposed to be doing that. You're more important than that. You're Jesus. Every once in a while, I'll be walking into the parking lot after a Sunday night service. I have to bum a ride from someone else and be a bunch of people come to the car and someone will say, oh, well, you got to let Steve have the front seat. He's the pastor. And I'm thinking, well, you know, actually, you should, you should tie me to your roof. I mean, you know, I'm not, at least in 15-degree weather, put me in the trunk. And, and, and really, pastors should be going after the lowest place. And, 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 but listen, and I'm not joking here, it's that the problem is, is that when God starts raising uh, you up and, and, and people trying to start thrusting you into a, a higher place, a place, a pastor, in fact, it's the duty of a pastor in every servant of God, whether you're in a church or in a job or at school or in your neighborhood, it's your, it's your duty to resist that. 
resist being put in a special place. Don't let them do that. Peter, uh, I mean, Jesus said, let who is great among you serve. Now, this argument, by the way, didn't convince them. They went on arguing. At the, it says at the Last Supper, they had the same argument again. They were arguing about who's the greatest. What did Jesus do there? It says that he took off his outer garment. How, how, here's a son of God taking off his outer garment and kneeling down. And he scrubs their grimy feet. See, he, 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 he needed to demonstrate to them what greatness really, really was. And, and so, uh, what does Jesus do here? Look what he did. I just absolutely love this. The, the multitude is trying to, it says, warning them that they should be quiet, it says uh, in verse 31. And, and then in, in verse 32, what does it say? It says, so Jesus stood still. So Jesus stood still. Now, I've talked about this before. I find this amazing. You know, this is our Lord. We come to church. Why? To get to know God. This is your God here. What is going on? As we started this message, Jesus has got a lot of, on his mind at this point, right? I mean, if anyone ever had a lot on his mind, it was Jesus at this point. He's within a week or two of his death. He knows that he is going to be turned over to the chief priests. He knows that he's going to be delivered to the Gentiles, that he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. If anyone knew his scripture, it was Jesus. He knew Isaiah 52, which spoke of the Messiah, saying he would be beaten beyond human recognition. Jesus knows that at this point. He knows that he's going to be betrayed by a close friend. He knows that, he's, that every sin ever committed in the world, every single one, every rape, murder, child molestation was going to be put on him and he was going to die for it. And because of that, because he had the sin of the world on him, the wrath of God would be poured out on him. His father's face, who he had been with for all eternity, would turn away from him. He would be alone. Uh, that's why he said, Father, Father, why do you forsake me? My God, my God, why do you forsake me? He knew that this was coming. And to nobody's, nobody's are crying out to him as he's going basically to the cross saying, hey, would you heal us? People are saying, don't bother him now. He's got a lot on his mind. And what does it say? Jesus stood still. And let me tell you, as you enter the distress of your life, Jesus will stand still for you. That's how much he loves you. Jesus stood still. And it ends by saying in verse 28, in verse 27, 28, whoever decides to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. Tonight, we're going to be celebrating communion. If you're, if you're interested, you can come and join us at the evening service at 6.30. And, and this, we're going to be literally celebrating his death. That sounds like a, a, a strange thing maybe to say about a death, but that's what we're going to be doing. Jesus um, basically also commands us to do that, to celebrate his death. What happened?
when Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. And, you know, I, I talk about this quite frequently when we have communion. The reason Jesus asks us to have communion, the wine and, and the bread, is because we so easily forget that all our righteousness, any righteousness that we do have, really is a better way of putting it, is because of that blood and is because of that that, that body that was broken. And so if, if you're interested, please come uh, with us tonight uh, and celebrate communion. And if there's anyone in here who has never really accepted by faith in their heart what God has done for them, what he's done for you on the cross, he's, he's, he has taken all your sins which God has, being holy, he has no choice but to judge. And the judgment, the Bible says, is death. And Jesus paid that penalty for you. If you've never accepted that gift on the cross that Jesus offers freely to you, please come and talk with me after the service. It's a simple prayer of faith, asking Christ into your life and doing a U-turn and following him which the Bible says will trigger salvation, eternal salvation in your life. If you've never done that, please uh, come and, and talk with me after the service. But let's close in prayer. Father, I, I thank you so much, Lord God, for, for sending your Son, Lord. Sending your Son to us and being just such a wonderful example of love and humility. But most of all, Lord, sending him to give his life as a ransom for us, Lord. And Lord, now we can say with the psalmist that, that in a very real sense that we're at your right hand. And, and at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And, and Lord God, we thank you for that. And Father, I just also want to, to ask just in agree, Lord, with everyone in this room that we would be heaven-minded, that we would be excited about you coming again, Jesus. You say the first time you came to, to die, the next time you will come, uh, Lord, for, for, for us, your church. that we would live with that confident expectation, Lord. God, I, I just pray, Father, as we go out, Lord, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, God bless everyone. If anyone needs prayer, please come up. You are dismissed. <laughs>